So we've been living with this for about four, more than four months now. Isn't it fun? Yeah, great. Isn't it great? You know what? Uh, uh, in April, I ordered this. It finally came in July. There was a run on these things, you know? And so I, I checked Avis this morning. Let me check you again here, Avis. Uh, good to go. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. And, and, and so this is an interesting device. We haven't, have you ever had your temperature taken with one of these? Yeah. Yeah, most of you have. Okay. I mean, you can't go to the doctor with that or the hospital. Uh, actually, I went to a, a pharmacy for someone else, and they took my temperature and checked it all out and different things. Uh, I really haven't needed to do it personally, but when I'm doing little things for other people, they've done it. So far, they're not doing it at Costco or Walmart yet, so you can go in there. Uh, but we want, and Home Depot, yeah. But we want to be safe. And um, so we did get this thinking that we might use it, but we're not. Uh, we're trusting you and this little card that you've got to self-screen. So please do that well. And, and I see everyone's wearing a mask today. Very good. That's great. I'm going to take mine off right now. I just... I can't uh, preach and make sure you get all the non-verbals and, and know that I'm smiling underneath all of this. So as we enter into this day, last week we talked a little bit about the tabernacle. And today we're going to be looking a little bit at the temple. And so I invite you to uh, open your Bibles to Mark 13. So the idea that we're looking at today is the condition. This is Jesus' words. If you have one of those Bibles that has red letters in it, uh, I, I'll just show you that mine has this whole section. It's right here. It's red. All red letters. That means these are the uh, recorded words of Jesus as inspired by the gospel writers. This story that we're looking at today is actually a sermon. It's called the Olivet Discourse. So, wow, there's a bonus for you. If that comes up on the quiz later, you'll, you'll know the Olivet Discourse because it took place on the Mount of Olives, and it's a discourse. It's a sermon. It's a statement. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share this information, and they have some little different uh, aspects of, of this story that each of them recorded. They each had a different audience that they were writing to. You know that Matthew was writing to the Jews and that Mark was really writing to the Romans. Luke was writing to a kind of a Greek audience. And uh, where do we fit in in all of that? Well, John wrote to uh, the whole world, really. And as we take a look, we're, we're looking at Mark 13 and I don't want to just give you just a tiny background. You see, for the Israeli nation, when the Jews, when they first began, they had a, a, a symbol of God in their midst. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've seen that great movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, they did a really good rendition of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when they opened it up and all these ghosts and all that stuff came out, that wasn't too good. That wasn't uh, very realistic. 
But before that, the, the case and, and how that all worked, uh, that was very interesting. Well, then they decided that, you know, hey, if we're going to have a place for God, we need to, you know, have a little better. So they got a really nice tent. And we looked at that last week, the, the tabernacle, which really means the dwelling place of God. Well, then, after they finally settled in the land, a couple, you know, thousand years have gone by, and, and now they want to have a king, and, and then the king's going to have a palace, and, and the king, you know, says, wow, should I have a palace and, and God be living in a tent? And so, you know, God wasn't really in the tent, you understand, God's everywhere. But that was kind of their placement. They, they saw God in that one location. And so they wanted to build a temple. And the first temple was built actually by Solomon. And let's take a look. Uh, we look at God in the midst of the people. So this is Mark 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples says, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. You know what? These stones were impressive. Some of these stones were 25 feet long and 15 feet wide and 12 feet tall. Just get your head around that for a second. How did they move that 2,500 years ago? Incredible. Massive. Huge stones. And you know what? They fit together so tightly that you couldn't even put a knife blade in there. We're talking about skilled workmanship. And you know what this is? This is wondering at the, the magnificence of man. It's a man-made structure. But, but we do that, right? I, I, I could ask you today about uh, structures that you know that that are fantastic achievements of mankind's progress. Now, for me, the earliest one, and I saw it built, is the Space Needle. Last week I told you about having dinner in the Space Needle one time, but uh, it was built for the World's Fair in Seattle in 1962. How many of you have been in the Space Needle? Some of you need to put this on your bucket list, and, and it is, and make sure you go on a sunny day, so, It'll be kind of hard to, to, to schedule that, but it is like one of the most beautiful structures, and, and you rise up there, and, and there's an observation tower, and actually, during the World's Fair, they had a new thing. It was, it was called canteens, and, and they would put sandwiches behind these little glass doors, and you would put your quarter in and open the door and pull out a sandwich. Automation. It was just incredible. Um, and, and my dad worked for this company, and we got to go up in the Space Needle. Uh, this is one of those moments when my dad and mom actually were together for a minute, and, and that was kind of the end of it all uh, pretty soon after that. But, but I remember what an incredible thing. I, I remember seeing it built, and they, they built it from the ground up, you know. Um, and so, but it looks like a flying saucer landed on a pole is, is, is what really it looks like. And, and I remember seeing that and thinking, what, a, what an incredible structure. You, you probably have some that, that maybe you've seen. When we think of, look around the world, we think of St. Peter's Basilica, we, you know, things like the Taj Mahal, the pyramids, you know, these wonders of the world. Well, I have to tell you, the Jewish temple was one of those. 
This was one of the largest structures in the world, the most magnificent, this beautiful white stone. It just gleamed in, in the sun. And it was impressive. Uh, actually, one of the other writers says it was majestic. Something that man built might cause people to see the majesty of God. That was really the purpose of the temple, to bring people into, a, into a, an awareness and a connection with God. Well, I like our church. Don't you like our church? It's a beautiful church. We have some beautiful stonework. If you go to the bathroom today, be sure to wash your hands. Um, but, but we have nice granite and tile in there, beautiful woodwork. It, it's, it's really nice. As a matter of fact, it's so beautiful that, that some people said, uh, why would we spend all that money on the bathroom? And, and actually, we got a really good deal on, on the granite and and we had cabinet makers who did these custom cabinets and, and with beautiful wood, all of that. And we did that very economically. So uh, we didn't waste any money, okay? All right? Good. But we did. And, and really, this is a comfortable place for us to come. If you're sitting inside today, you have air conditioning. Uh, well, sometimes we have softer seats than these. Uh, I want to remind you, bring a cushion. <laughs> Bring a cushion. Uh, we're, we're working on a way. In the, in, in the future, we might have the, the uh, cushion chairs with plastic bags over them. So you may still want to bring a cushion. I don't know. We'll see. But um, it, we, we, we try to make this comfortable. But really, the purpose of this building, too, is not just to serve the people, but to help us as the people to serve God. And, and that was the purpose of the temple. Magnificent, beautiful. So Jesus replied, we're already on verse 2, okay? He said, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Well, Jesus is being prophetic here, and actually this was said around 30 A.D. And 40 years later, in 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus came to Jerusalem. Those Jews were being rebellious again, and so they destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. And they took days to demolish the temple so that not one stone would remain on another. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see that very flat Temple Mount area but down below it, on the south side, there still are foundation stones for that temple. There were actually um, three temples. The first temple was the temple that Solomon built, and it had grandeur. Solomon was wealthy. The Jews were very wealthy during uh, Solomon's reign. Solomon's the son of King David. And, and during that time, there was gold and beautiful woodwork and jewels. All oh, the temple was just was fabulous. That was then destroyed, and the Babylonian captivity happened. And then at the end of that, the temple was rebuilt. We know that story in the book of Ezra. And, and Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the wall. But the temple was rebuilt, and so that's the second temple. Well, that temple then later was destroyed uh, after the time of the Maccabees. And, and then along comes Herod the Great. Now, Herod is no great man of God. 
at all. He, he's not even Jewish. He's in the median or something like that. And, but he rebuilds the temple to try to win favor with the Jews. And so it's Herod's temple, the, the third temple, more of a remodeling and expanding. And, and probably this is the largest. Uh, it did have a lot of gold. And when the Romans came, they, the fire in there got so hot that it just melted the gold. And then they collected all the gold and carried it off. So this is the temple in which Jesus is seeing, the, the temple that was built by Herod. So now Jesus says this is all going to be destroyed. And so now he's walking with his disciples. They leave the temple area and they go out the eastern gate. No, it would have been the western gate, sorry. They go out the western gate, they go down the Kidron Valley, which is right there, and up the other side, past the Garden of Gethsemane, where there's some olive trees, up to the Mount of Olives. And there on the Mount of Olives, it is the Eastern Gate. Yeah. I have to get my references right. Because the one time I got to stand on the Mount of Olives. And, and, and you can look across and you can see where that temple was. You see the Dome of the Rock now, a, a, a mosque. But imagine the Jews, the disciples, they're taking a moment. They've just walked up the hill. They're going to actually go over the hill and down to Bethany, where they'll spend the evening. And, they, and Jesus sits down. Let's take a look. This is verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when is this going to happen? When, when will this happen? What, what sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? It's like, give us a sign. Help us see what is this. And, and it's kind of like, what thermometer will show us the conditions that will be just right? The implication is, well, really, how can we avoid all of this? I want you to think about a thermometer. What does the thermometer do? It tells you, if it works correctly, it tells you what is. If you have a temperature, uh, I hope you have a temperature. I hope you don't have a fever, but I do hope you have a temperature. It just shows you what is. But there is another device, and that's what we're really wanting to see today, a thermostat. Now, we have a couple of thermostats that are working today. The reason I know that is because the air conditioning is blaring away. And the reason that we know that is because we can hear that, that it's happening. And, and it feels a little cooler in here than it does outside. Anyone want to testify? Okay. When we think about the difference between a thermometer, which just tells you what is, it doesn't do anything about it. And a thermostat, a thermostat, do you know what a thermostat also has a thermometer in it? Because when it gets to a certain temperature, the thermostat, if it has the right connection and the heater or cooling unit is working, it will kick on. It has to have power to do that. The thermostat doesn't make anything cooler or warmer. It just tells the machinery what to do. So if we are like the thermostat, we need the power of God 
to change the conditions. We can't change the conditions on our own, but a thermostat can, with the right hookup and the right power, make a difference. It can, make, it can bring change. A thermometer cannot. A thermometer just tells you what is. As a matter of fact, I remember when we would have little kids and they would be sick and we would touch their forehead and they think, oh, I think they have a fever. And, and we would call the doctor and say, well, we think they have a fever. And you know, sometimes early on they would say, well, take their temperature. And you would do that in, in several, one of three places usually. And it was not a pleasant thing and it wasn't a good thing for a little kid. These little guns that take your temperature instantly, those are so much better. But it's still, uh, and, and it got to the place where the doctor would say, well, how are they doing? And don't take their temperature. The doctor would say, don't take their temperature. Just, you can tell if they're ill or not. And so I, I, thought, I found that interesting that a doctor would tell us, don't take their temperature. Because you'd take their temperature and then you'd worry. So thermometers really don't help us other than to know how hot it is. Now, it's been hot recently, hasn't it? And uh, we need uh, to adjust, but we need a thermostat, and we need power, and then we need the right machinery in order to bring change. So how can we avoid all of this that's going to happen? You know what I would like to do? I would like to avoid COVID-19. I would like to. I would like it to just be gone and that we could just go back to it. Um, I, I'm realizing that it's very dangerous, and yet it's still the risk is, is pretty low. Uh, we're watching our county. Lots more people are being tested, more people. And, and so we want to be very cautious about that. We want to be careful. And yet I am ready for this to be over. Uh, anybody else? Yeah. So I, I looked at this scripture, and in studying the tabernacle and then moving to the temple, thinking, wow, a lot of what Jesus says here in this Olivet Discord applies to us today. So let's, let's take a look. If you're, if you're taking notes today, I hope that you'll whoop out your note sheet and write a few things down. There's some blanks to fill in, but maybe there's other thoughts that you will have. So it's like um, this is going to happen. Jesus tells us, and the disciples say, well, how do, how do we know this is going to happen? When it's going to happen? What are the warnings and all that? And and so we look here to see what does Jesus advise those disciples to do? What does Jesus want us to do today in, in the conditions that we are in? So this, by the way, is the longest sermon of Jesus, the Olivet Discord. We're, not, we're only going to cover the first part today. So number one, if you're taking notes today, write this down. Don't panic. That's number one. It says this in verse 5. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, the name of God, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. There's a lot of false prophets, and, and, a lot of, and they're successful, and they deceive people. Do you remember 11 years ago, May 21st? You remember? That's the day the world ended. On May 21st, 2011, according to a group uh, from Oakland, and, and that, that went all around the world, uh, there was a guy in New York that took his life savings, $140,000, and, and gave it to them to put up billboards. And there were billboards. Remember the billboards everywhere that said, Jesus you know, is coming, the world is ending on May 21st? And I think they even said 6 p.m. 
I mean, they really had it down. Too. Um, but then I remember some of the billboards got spray painted afterwards, and, and they said things like, this was after May 21st, and said, wow, wasn't that embarrassing? You know, because it was wrong. Um, so don't panic. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Isn't, that's probably good advice for us today. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, but many are still deceived. Isn't it fascinating? There, there is something in human nature that loves a lie. And the more sensational the lie, the more we just want to believe it. And if, if you don't understand this well, then you have not been surfing the Internet. Because there's a lot of stuff. And if it's on the Internet, you can believe it, right? No amens. Okay. It's, it's so interesting. But, but people love a lie. And, and they might even refuse to believe their own personal experience or what's happened in the past. I think the study of history is worthwhile from the fact that we shouldn't repeat it. But we often do. Occasionally, Mark Twain even said this, that a lie runs around the world while truth is putting on her shoes. A lie runs around the world while truth is putting on her shoes. I think there's some truth to that. Verse 7, Jesus goes on. He says, and you'll hear uh, of wars and threats of wars or rumors of wars. But don't panic. This word panic is an interesting word in the Greek. It's threo. And threo means uh, don't be troubled. Don't panic. Don't be troubled. Don't be frightened. And that's what Jesus is saying. And I think that's, good. that's a good word for us today. Not to panic. Not to be troubled. To, to do what we can. To take precautions. To look for signs and all of that. Self-screen. All kinds of things like that. But don't be frightened. Don't be troubled. Don't panic. God has got this, and he has you. The verse goes on. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, have you ever had a baby or been there when a baby was being delivered? I did this three times, not personally, but um, associated with it, you know? And I'll tell you, it was so exciting when the first pains happened because we were anxious for that. We were waiting for it. We, we were, re we were re ready for it. <laughs> oh, but we had no idea what was to come. Uh, you know, and today they, they have all kinds of medications and, and um, all kinds of things. But uh, on one of our children, we didn't get the timing quite right. It wasn't our fault. The hospital just didn't get it together. And, and all of a sudden, whoa. And, and, and I remember it was one of us. It was either Colette or I. I can't remember which one it was. But they said, let's just not do this. Let's just go home. <laughs> I do remember who it was because I said, no, we have to do this. We... And it's so exciting when the first little beginnings are happening. But birth is a painful process. 
very painful. And you know, that, that whole, it, 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 it's meant to do work. That's why it's called labor. And it's tough to get that little one out because they don't usually want to come out. It's nicer inside there. When we think about birth pains, that's what Jesus says, that there's a sign for you. You're going to start seeing things fall apart. Okay, do you, you don't remember this, but in 1918, the world was at war, and that, the Great War ended. But there was also a lot of dysentery because of unclean water. There was a food shortage, so there was a lot of famine, and there was that widespread flu that killed millions of people. Millions of people died because of the war, but actually more people died from disease, uh, the flu and dysentery, than from the war itself. It's a, it's, and you know what people said? It's the end of the world! And I hope, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I don't think they were right, okay? But it sure felt like it. And it took a long time for the world to recover. And then we did it again in 1939 through 45, 46. And there's been times when we've had wars, but we're talking about an increase to wars. Now, in our lifetime, we have devices that we could wipe out the world. And some people have devised this doomsday clock, and you know, they, sometimes they think we're three minutes to doomsday, you know? Uh, there's, because we can kill each other so many times over with atomic weapons and, and all of that. And so, you know, we've kind of gotten used to having atomic weapons, haven't we? I remember hiding under the desk when I was in about third grade. This was what we were going to do when the atomic bomb hit Seattle. We were going to get under our desk and we were going to be okay. It was, it was fruitless. It was, it was a useless activity. And it caused fear. Uh, 1962, the Bay of Pigs, the incident where we nearly went to war. And it wasn't with Cuba, it was with Russia. Because they were bringing missiles in and that whole Cuban missile crisis, all of that stuff that happened. We didn't find out about a lot of that, but there was a lot of fear, a lot of concern. I was too young to really notice it. Some of you were not born, but most of you can probably remember some of that time. It's so interesting for those who are spiritually blind to run after all kinds of reasons for things. And even immature believers, we panic and we follow after charismatic leaders who will will tell us what we want to believe, not what's real or true. And we accept maybe simple explanations, but wrong ones. The world is going to end May 21st. Now, did that cause you any concern at all? Let, let, let's go back further. How about um, when we were having a new millennium, when we were having the year 2000? Did you stockpile water or food or do any of those things? Yeah. So, some of us did. A little bit. You know, I don't believe in this, but I'm going to fill the bathtub you know, with water. How long would that last? There's a lot of concerns. 
We're willing to look after all kinds of things for the meaning of life, for the purposes of all these things that happen. But there is one place that I think we need to look, and that is to God. So on your sheet, number two, write this down. Pay attention. Pay attention. Watch out. Be on your guard. There's four or five times in this passage when Jesus says, uh, in one of the older versions, take heed. We don't usually use that word, take heed. If you say to someone, well, take heed, they're going to think you're talking King James Version, you know, or something. But look at what it says. This is verse 9. When these things begin to happen, watch out. Take heed. You'll be handed over to local councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. Wait, I don't want to be beaten in the synagogue. I don't want to be turned over to the, the courts, the Sanhedrin. You will stand trial before governors and kings, and why? The only reason is because you're following Jesus. You are my followers. So we do need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what's going on around us right now. And I'll tell you, there is a situation where churches and the government are becoming more and more at odds. And who are we going to follow? Now, we have to be careful because there are charismatic leaders, false prophets, that will lead people astray. I don't want to be one of those. So I'm not going to call for all-out rebellion of the church just yet. But the next one, number three, not only do we need to pay attention, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready. This could be your chance. What is Jesus telling us to be ready for? The end of the world? No. He says, be ready to tell people about him. Look, it says, but this is your opportunity to tell these people who drag you into court, the government leaders, whoever, about me. So we are to do what the Bible tells us to do, and if we get dragged into court over that, be ready to tell the truth about Jesus. Because, frankly, I decided a while ago that we need to pray more for our governor because he's making statements and all this, and, and I don't know if he has any spiritual advisors in his life, but boy, he sure needs some. Because this is not just a physical and economic and emotional problem, it's a spiritual problem too. And, and we need to pray for our governor. Not to be out of office, you can sign a petition right now, it's going around, but I think we need to pray for him to make wise decisions, to have good advisors. Because this might just be your opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. You know, God is delaying the end of the world so more people can get to know him. And really, he wants all people to have a chance to be saved. So we need to use this time to tell people that God's got this. Yes? Yeah, weak, weak, weak. I think you need to get out from behind those masks. We need to come to him. People need to come to him. Verse 10, for the good news must first be preached to all nations. This word nation is an interesting one because it means all people groups. It's not like all countries. It's all tribes and all groups of people. And, and so the, the goal of the church is to preach the gospel to every nation. That's why there is such a, a great need for 
missions in our world. And I'm, I'm so glad we're part of the Church of the Nazarene because the Church of the Nazarene is one of the top greatest mission-sending organizations in all of Christendom. Yay, we're a part of that. We, we make that important. That's a big thing for us. So give your faith promise giving so the gospel can go out. Number four, Jesus says, don't worry. God will provide. But when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what you're going to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it is not you who will be speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, this is critical that we understand this. Because if you go and say what you think is right, it's probably going to be wrong. We've got to be in touch with God's Spirit before we go making any proclamations like the world is going to end on May 21st. We better be very, very certain that as God is speaking. And how do you get certain about that? The Bible tells us that our spirit needs to get connected to God's spirit. You remember what I told you about the thermostat? If the thermostat is not plugged in, and it can be, even be wirelessly connected to a, a furnace or air conditioner, it's not going to do a thing. As a matter of fact, the power went off at my house and the thermostat was working perfectly. I had battery backup but I didn't have a heater cool because it wasn't, the connection was lost. And if our connection to the Holy Spirit is not solid, if, it's not, if we're not receiving power, then we're not going to affect any change. We may complain about change. We may worry about change, but it's not going to do a thing. All we're being is kind of a thermostat saying, wow, it's really hot here, or it's really cold out. But we're not doing anything about it. So don't just complain. Number five, stay true. Endure deception and division and be saved. This is pretty scary, verse 12. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will, will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Now, I don't think this is happening right now in our area, but have you heard that, that you know, people are being encouraged to, to tell on other people if they're not complying with government restrictions right now? Have you heard that? And there, and there was even something about, I heard about uh, some children that were encouraged to rat out their parents. Wow. You know, there are places in the world where you might be killed for being a follower of Jesus. We've been pretty fortunate in our, company, our country because it hasn't come to that yet. But maybe it's just the first signs. And maybe that's coming for us. We better pay attention. We better be ready. Don't worry, but stay true. It goes on in verse 13. And anyone who will, everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Now, just don't go out and be obnoxious and get, try, to, try to get people to hate you. There, it needs to be because you're loving them with the love of God and they can't stand it. That's what we're to be about, is love. 
Everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And there it is, the promise. Interesting, I, as I was preparing for this, I came across a, a statement. You, you've probably heard this idea about being, don't be a, a thermometer, be a thermostat. Have you heard that before? Uh, it's, been, it's been around a, a lot. And, and so I decided, well, okay, I want to be a thermostat. And so I, I looked this up, and here it is, a quote from Martin Luther King, Jr., this is from the letter that he wrote from Birmingham jail five years before he was killed, April 1963, and here's what he said. I think this is in your notes, isn't it? Look at this along as I read it. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. Are we willing to suffer for what we believe today? He goes on, in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And that's what we need to be today. We need to be a thermostat with the power of God connected as we evaluate and see conditions, not to whine and complain about it, but to take it to God and pray and, and do the things that he's told us to do, like loving our enemies. So ask yourself, am I a thermometer or am I a thermostat? Do I merely report circumstances and usually complain about them? Don't you love to complain about things? The government, everything. There's a lot of complaining. The world does not need more complaining. The world needs more love and hope and truth. So do I do what I can do to change the world? Do I do what I can do to make the world a better place? Because guess what? That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to recognize the times in which we live and do something about it. Not on our own, but by drawing into his connection, into his power, by loving people with the love of God, even when we don't like them, and being the church. That's what the real church is. How will people know about Jesus? It's because you tell them. You pray for them, you love them, you encourage them, and you find a way. Okay, I want to take you down to the very end of, of chapter 13 of Mark. Look at what it says here. Jesus says, however, okay, you've heard all this stuff about the birth pangs and the wars and rumors of wars and all that. However, no one knows. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Do you realize that God has kept this information close? Not even telling Jesus when this was going to happen. And so I had a question. Do you think Jesus knows now, today, when this is going to happen? 
we could have a great discussion about this. Because let me tell you, even Jesus isn't sure, I, I think, but you think about this. Because God the Father is going to send his son to retrieve his bride. And who is the bride of Jesus? The church. And Jesus hasn't been sent yet. And we ought to be thankful that, for that because we still have time to share the good news. And we ought to take advantage of that. And Jesus may or may not even know, even now, that time, because God kept that in. He said, you can't know it. Well, guess what, folks? Harold Camping died without knowing when. And I don't think he probably even knows yet. If the angels couldn't know, I don't think people who died already know. But there are signs, and we ought to do these things. Don't panic. Pay attention. Be ready. Don't worry. And be ready to really stay true no matter how tough times get. You think this is tough, what we're going through now? I do. It's nothing compared to what is going to come. And so, you know, I, I have to tell you, I'm not to the place where I want to say, Lord, come quickly. Well, I do want it to come quickly. I don't want it to drag out, you know. How long is a woman's labor? Have you heard of the 24 hours in labor? Have you heard of the 10 minutes in labor? Which would you choose? That's kind of a duh question, isn't it? But it seems like it's going to be a time. Now, scholars, they study this, and they don't know whether the church is going to go through this really difficult time of the tribulation. Is the church going to be raptured? The word rapture doesn't even appear in the, in the Bible. So, you know, we're not sure about these things. Well, guess what the Bible says? You can't know. But it, the Bible doesn't normally take people out of tough situations. God does not remove them from it. He helps them endure it. And that's what Jesus says. Endure to the end. Stay true. And so that's our call today. Stay true. And what do we do while we're staying true? We tell other people about the good news. We get connected and stay connected. We be a thermostat. And we choose to to help God do what he wants to do to change the conditions. Verse 33, last word. Oh, only the Father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard. Take heed. Stay alert. And live love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and it is hard to understand sometimes. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would guide the church into the job that we need to do today. Give us guidance in how we should do it. And Lord, may we be people of love and grace. And may we do what you've called us to do so that everyone around us might know you, Jesus. Lord, if there's a person that is here today or listening to this online and they don't know you, 
I pray that they will seek you out right now, that they will know that they can be saved by just calling on your name and saying, Jesus, save me now. I put my trust, my faith in you. I need you, Lord. And Lord, we know people that need the Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a part of that. We don't have the power to do it, but we can be a thermostat and we can gauge those conditions and we can pray for you to act. And we can join you in what you want to do. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be the church, the thermostat that the world needs to change and to be what you have called us to be. Go with us now in this, from this place. May we be safe and well, and may we do your will. In your wonderful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.